0: Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork.
1: And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Wine Access. If you want to ask for a great gift or give a great gift, give the gift of the wine for normal people. Wine Access Wine Club, go to wineaccess.com/normal, join and you get 4 shipments for $150 plus tax each. Free shipping is included and the wines are all hand selected by me. Get on it today. So, you know how I always talk about the big hulking wineries in the US and the power they hold? And you know how I keep a list of wineries owned by the big hulking wineries? Well, there's a reason for that. And part of that reason is the feeling I've had for a while that the small family wineries were getting edged out by the big guys, especially in Napa. And I have a story for you that unfortunately validates this. I have Stu Smith of Smith-Madrone Winery, who I know many of you know and love. He has joined us before. Many of you have had his wines. Many of you had visited. And many of you know that he has been in business for more than 50 years on Spring Mountain. They are still one of the best wineries in Napa. But Stu is going to tell us about the dealings of the Napa County government And their attempts to take away the rights of small wineries to hold tastings with people like us. Smith Madrone has joined with Hoops Vineyard and Summit Lake to file a complaint against Napa County. And Stu is here to give us the full detail on all of this mess. It's a little wonky. But the outcome is going to have a big impact on the future of small wineries in Napa. So it is very much worth your time to listen to this. Thank you so much for joining us, Stu. No one's going to be able to break this down better than you. We're going to go step by step here because it is a lot to digest. So let's go back to when Smith Madrone set up in 1971. You were required to file a permit to farm the land, do tastings. What were you permitted to do when you filed that 50 years ago.
1: If you wanted to start a winery, 1971 or before, you designed your building, you went down to the county, you threw your designs down onto the county countertop and said, here's what I want to build. Give me a building permit and how much is it going to be? And you walked out the door and nobody did anything. Nobody cared. You could build it uh, as big or as small as you possibly wanted.
0: And there weren't that many wineries at that time either, right?
1: Oh, I would guess somewhere less than... 30, probably closer to 25. Wow. Um, and these are the wineries that most people know as, I might call them legacy wineries. Um, Charles Krug, Robert Mondavi, uh, Chapelet.
0: Gurgich Hills, Montalina. G-
1: hills, right. Chateau Montalina uh, was re- resurrected. Hans Cornell, Beaulieu. Those are the wineries that were around. They were mostly down on the valley floor along Highway 29.
0: You're the only nut up in the hills, right?
1: Exactly. The only whack <laughs> job that went to the mountains. Um, and we got a use permit and that use permit basically is hardly two pages. It tells us what we can and cannot do. Uh, it allows us to do tastings. It's, it's quiet. It doesn't say how many visitors we can have a day, a month, a year. And there's something to do with the road. We had a mobile home on the property that had to be removed and it was silent when it came to events. It didn't say we could have events, it didn't say we couldn't have events, and it didn't say how many events we could have, because it was just simply silent on the question.
0: What is an event?
1: An event would be you coming up to the winery and us sitting down and having a a sandwich together.
0: So that's different from a tasting?
1: Uh, Yeah, the tasting would be if we went in and had a glass of wine, and and then sat down and had lunch, Uh, that would be an event. And that's my interpretation of what an event is. The county, I'm sure, has its own interpretation of what an event is, but it's not well defined. As as we go through this, you'll see that. Okay. So we got this permit, and we had our winery approved. Now, interestingly, to go back to the whole political beginning of this mess, in 1971, I got permits from the Department of California Department of Forestry (CDF) to clear land, timber conversion land deal. And when I picked up the permits from the CDF in Santa Rosa, the guy looked at me and said, kid, you think you know what you're doing, but you don't. And he (laughs) says, as soon as you fire up your first chainsaws, the crazies are going to come out of the woodwork and attack you. And I said, no, I am a newly minted UC Davis graduate, whatever. This is good for the industry, good for the Valley. It's good for Napa Valley economy. And it's good for the forest. Back then, 53 years ago, I knew that converting forest land to vineyard, checkerboarding through the mountains would be a, a, an impediment to forest fires. And the guy looks at me and says, good luck, kid. And he was right. And I was wrong. The crazies came out. Napa County in 72, we weren't finished. It was going to be a two-year logging clearing program. Early 72, Napa County passed a moratorium on logging sent a guy up to the property and said, uh, there's the logging moratorium. We want you to stop. And I said, thank you very much. I have a permit from the state. Get off the property. And I was right for once, and they were wrong. And they overreached because forests are a state asset, and only the state of California has the right to regulate what goes on with timber. And so Napa County had to back off. But the reason I bring it up is it's emblematic of the overreach that Napa County Has thus done for the last 50 years.
0: Well, and it's really interesting, Stu, because I just did a podcast with Tom Collins, who is a specialist on fire. Now, he's up at University of Washington. He was talking about all of the political issues with forestry management, especially in California and how they've let things spiral out of control so much instead of doing things like what you're talking about checkerboarding and making sure that the forest fires can't spread clearing controlled burns the governments are fighting with each other no one's taking responsibility so this is like the early genesis of it it ties right back into the problems with the forest fires because no one is taking responsibility for the forest and all people are saying is well let the forest burn themselves out well then you're going to burn all of California down if you continue to do that. So this is part of that too.
1: Uh, you're you're absolutely dead on. And we have we have people who are still fighting that doing nothing in, in the forest is the best thing to do, and it is exactly the wrong thing. And we need to manage our forests. And the reason our forests are mismanaged is because we do nothing in them, so they become overgrown. Uh, we've lost a fair number of trees to the wildfire to the to the 2020 Glass Fire. And there were a few little pockets of Douglas fir trees that were unburned and I thought would last. And then what happened is that the bark beetles got in and the bark beetles go where the fire went and the bark beetles then kill off the weak trees because the forests are overcrowded. Well, let me let me back up. We have about 38 acres in vineyard and my brother and I have always been concerned about fire. And so for the last 50 years. We don't do it on a major basis, but at the end of the harvest, we go out with our crew and we start clearing the brush underneath the small trees and clearing out the fuel that will ignite the larger trees and thus kill the forest. And so this is something we've been doing forever. And and what happened in Northern California is that I grew up in Southern California and in Southern California, up to the turn of the 21st century, all of the fires were in Southern California. Right. So I grew up with the idea that there was fire always in Southern California. I go into Northern California, and only in the century change did the fire start moving into Northern California. And what happened, I believe, is that in Northern California, people were complacent. There'd been no major fires in Northern California for decades and decades and decades, and so they were immune to it. Because Charlie, my brother, and I had grown up in Southern California, we were always aware and conscious, and knew then it wasn't... if there was going to be a fire. It was only when the fire would come. And so with the glass fire, we lost no structures, no buildings, no vineyard. We farm in a fire safe way. Anyway, that's that's besides. But but I do want to
0: point out that a lot of your neighbors were wiped out completely because that was not the case. Let's get back to this. So for almost 20 years, you're kicking along, everything's fine. And then 1990 something happens with. Right. So
1: So What happened there is that, and and a friend of mine, a good friend, Jay Corley of Monticello Winery was on the board of uh, the Planning Commission and two wineries came across the board that he was concerned about. One of them was Peju Winery right Mm -hmm. on uh, Highway 29 and the other one was uh, Clopagas, closer to Calistoga. And he and a number of other people, not me particularly, were concerned that wineries we're starting to morph into visitor centers and the winery part of it was being minimized. So basically what you had was a the fear. Let's put it that way. The fear was that you would have a little teeny winery and a great big tasting area for people. And was that really what we wanted in the Napa Valley?
0: Well, frankly, that's how we got to the Disneyland of wine.
1: Exactly. And so what was created in... It got passed in January of 1990 is what's called the Winery Definition Ordinance, otherwise known as the WDO. And at the very beginning, the Napa Valley Vintners responded to the county, you know, how do you define a winery? And the definition was something like, you crush grapes, ferment them, press them, and <laughs> make them into wine from grapes. So there, there became a, a tug of war between minimal definition and over-definition. And what happened is that they looked at and said, well, okay, if you're going to build a winery, only 40% can be administrative or tasting, something of that nature. And I forgot the exact numbers. And that the dominant part of the building, let's just say 60%, I don't know what it was then, has to be winemaking. And then uh, if you sold chachkas, the chotchkas had to be labeled. In other words, they had to be wine-related, or if you were doing, let's say, hats, They had to be labeled with your name on
0: them. So you couldn't just sell anything. Yeah, it had to be something whiny.
1: Exactly. And we all agreed that this was a a good thing. We didn't want to create little department stores in the middle of the vineyard attached to a teeny part of, of a winery. So you had your Yves Saint Laurent or your Dance Disc or your whatever that or, you know, Diane von Furstenberg's, whatever. We all agreed that that's not what we wanted. And so we move forward. And then at the same time, we created what was called the 75% rule. And that is that 75% of all the grapes that you crush, if you are in Napa County, must come from Napa Valley. You cannot crush 10 tons of Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley if you're a winery and 1,000 tons from uh, the, Central separate, sa- the Central Coast or, or the Central Valley or from right. Fresno. Bring it in from Fresno. So we all agreed with that. Now, in retrospect, almost no one doesn't think that that law, if challenged, would go away because it's unfair competition before the law. And that that is all held together for all of these years by what we all think of as a gentleman's agreement. And these rules, these WDO rules, were the most restrictive of any county in America that allows grape growing and winemaking.
0: This is 1998. That we put the clamps on.
1: Right. So what happened there is that there were two permits that you could get. You had to go through and get a use permit and go through a hearing. Our use permit, as I said, is barely two pages long. You could also go in and get a small winery exemption permit. And again, this was brand new. Nobody really knew how to handle any of this. So the county didn't know how to handle it. We, the industry, didn't know how to handle it. This started in 71. The winery definition came in in 1990. Uh, 1990, and in that 20 years, we learned a lot, and there's a winery database that is on the county website that they didn't tell any anybody about.
0: When did they make that?
1: We don't know.
0: Okay, so let's get into it. So now we have 1990, and then the next big trouble point is about 2016, right? So you guys marched along for a while, and all the while, from 1990 through the early 2000s, we see terrific growth throughout Napa. And all of the things that it sounds like you are saying about the wineries that you did not want in the winery definition ordinance, to me, sounds like it all actually happened because a lot of these places are just places for people to have events and bachelorette parties and blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, and they they guide, they put it in the guise it's, of tasting, but it we know what it is, right?
1: It, that's a little harsh because the winery definition ordinance kept a cap on a lot of it. But what happened is that in 1990 and beyond, that use permit that was two pages to me, turns into a inch-and-a-half-thick document that takes four to five years to get and costs a million dollars or more in processing fees and environmental impact reports. Now there's a an attitude from a certain part of the populace in the valley that goes, we don't want any more vineyards, we don't want any more tourists, we don't want any more anything. And so they oppose everything.
0: And, I mean, we have known this for a while, only very rich people now— can set up wineries in Napa. You have to be oh, loaded. Oh, you,
1: you have to be loaded. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite sayings is that the billionaires are driving the millionaires out. And, it's true uh, though,
0: right? I mean, oh, that's, it is that's absolutely, absolutely true. true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when you go in today for a permit, as I like to say, the county, and, and I've said this to the county, the, the county is basically selling a product and that product is a permit. And normally when you buy something, you go into the store, you want to pick it up, you want to look at it, you want to test drive it, whatever it is, you want to turn it over, you want to know how much it's going to cost. And is it in stock? Can you take it home? (laughs) Right. And all of those things don't happen with a use permit. And a winery just 10 days ago, two weeks ago in the Valley went up for its use permit hearing. They'd been five and a half years in the process of getting this use permit. It went before the planning commission. The planning department had looked at it, done everything and said, this looks like a a good thing. We say to the planning commission, we think this should be approved. One, you know, there's five people on a planning commission, two women said, oh no, 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 the road is too narrow. The Cal Fire employee who was there said, look, I was the third vehicle in this area. The road is fine. There's no problem with the road. Don't worry about the road. Then the two other Planning people said to the other two women, would you reconsider based on this testimony from Cal Fire? And they said no. And because the fifth planning commissioner recused herself because there was a conflict, here's a winery that had been five and a half years in the process. Everybody acknowledged, even the two women who voted against it, acknowledged that they had done everything. They had dotted every I, they had crossed every T and what have you. But a few of the neighbors objected. And so it's now in limbo because it was a two two tie. So in essence, it wasn't approved. Wow. And five and a half years, five and a half years, they were in this process. And because these two new, and they were new, but they are very green. So how does anybody, and I don't know what these people spent, but I suspect it's close to four or five million dollars. Oh, want it do has 30, to be. A 30,000 gallon winery and now the industry is is in fits and conniptions because just recently a vineyard request up in the howell mountain area they'd been at it for nine years what they'd been at it for nine years to have a 20 acre vineyard up there and the county made them do an eir uh, which What's cost an them a, a environmental impact report and the county planning director had approved the erosion control plan. And the EIR said with mitigations, there'll be zero impact on the environment. And the Anguin mob showed up and yelled and screamed. And the, the Board of Supervisors caved. And so the county made them spend a million and a half dollars on a report that they then trashed and went against their own report. And so the applicants, for nine and a half years, I don't know how much money they spent, but at least. They spent a million and a half on the environmental document, let alone all the other stuff that goes with it. And so they're they're shit out of luck, too. And this is the kind of things that are going on in Napa County.
0: And this is happening. These are smaller properties that just want to set up a small vineyard. This is not Gallo or Constellation or Treasury that's doing this, right?
1: Actually, the interesting thing is Gallo went in for a 120-acre erosion control plan, and nobody seems to care.
0: That's the point that, that I would like to make. So this is why I it. keep track. They're getting it, of course. They're getting so, it. Treasury so is Stu, getting it. This is about money.
1: Oh, it's all about money.
0: This is about who's paying the taxes, the big tax bills. Right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so let's talk well, about that's, what that's happened. That's a good
1: part of it. It's not all of it. And in fact, Elizabeth, one of the things that we constantly, we the little, the little guys, are going, who is the malevolent hand behind the county that is treating us? we think so unfairly. And let's get back into where this all started, recently started, and that's with Lindsay Hoops. Yep. Lindsay bought a winery called Hopper Creek Winery just south of Beyondville. And it was a winery that was having tours and tastings. And she bought it thinking that everything was okay.
0: Because you can transfer the
1: permit, right? Because you can transfer the permit. So then for whatever reason, the county sent her a cease and desist or a lawsuit, I can't remember which, that basically said, uh, you need to stop what you're doing. And she has artfully has two Airstream trailers on the property. You know, you can see that they're objects to art type deal. Nobody's living in them. They're there as part of the decor. You know how at Home Depot, there are all these lights, you know, you can buy these these outdoor nighttime lights. She was cited for having outdoor lights up They just, for whatever reason, went at her. And I found out about this because there was an article on the front page of the Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle. So I called her up and I said, hey, what's going on? This is something I've always followed, land use in Napa County. I didn't know about this. This litigation had been going on for over, over a year, over a year. And a number of the photos that they used were from other wineries. And she's a lawyer herself. From San Francisco.
0: Well, not just a lawyer. I mean, she is a prosecutor. So she knows the law and she was not going to put up with this. Right. Now, what year was this that they decided that they were going to go after her?
1: Somewhere in 22, 2022.
0: OK, so we're coming out of the pandemic. Everybody is starting to see business return. And then they wallop Lindsay with all of these violations. Now, the thing yes. about it is that Hopper is not just a regular winery that got WDO.
1: It was in violation of the WDO. Yeah.
0: Right. But it predated it, right?
1: Right. There were two options. There, There's actually getting a use permit, which is what we did. And that takes a little bit more time. And what the county saw, and again, you've got to think back that use permits were just coming into play. And the county and and the people getting them were learning how to deal with it. So right. the county made everyone do a use permit. And again, mine was two pages. I think we were the 15th use permit in the county. Wow. And then they said, OK, let's do a small winery exemption permit, which would be a little bit more streamlined. And this is before D2C sales. And so you couldn't do tours and tastings at the winery, but you could process that went from the use permit, as I said, from 71 to 90. And with 90 came in a whole winery definition ordinance. So all the wineries that were in, let's just say this little box, think of it as a shoe box or something of that nature, boot box. So you had all these wineries like us who had use permits. You had all these wineries that were uh, small winery exemptions that were allowed no tours and no tasting. Now, the problem is That may have been okay in 1971, 72, 73, but it's not okay in late 70s or 80s. And so there was no way for them to get out of that box without now going through an extraordinarily expensive use permit process that would have cost a million dollars or more.
0: Even in 1990?
1: Even in 1990, yes. Jeez,
0: okay, so already they were kind of putting the hammer down.
1: That's right, that's right. So then the WDO comes in and we all think, okay, these are all the new regs that we can deal with. And Hopper Creek, uh, Lindsay Hoop's case, she thought, as did many others, okay, those small limited wineries now have the other rules.
0: They can do tastings is what you're saying.
1: Yes, they can do tastings. And And so
0: they were doing tastings and tours like everybody else because that's like everybody else. They, They thought they were allowed to do that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. As were we. And we but we had a use permit. They did not. They had the small winery exemption.
0: Yours was a little more powerful than what they had. That's right. And now Napa County decides in particular, and we don't really know why, to go after Hoops or Hopper Creek. That's right. Is there any reason why they would go after that particular property? Like, is it near a grumpy neighbor? Is it near one of the big wineries and they don't want anybody on that property. I mean, what is the reason? And they're using taxpayer money to go after Lindsay, right? Yes. Okay. I just want to be clear about that. So they cited her and now
1: we have no idea. We we have no idea.
0: How or why there's no, no, there's no rhyme or reason why they picked her.
1: No, Now, And in fact, let's make this kind of conspiratorial thing a little bit more interesting. And that is, so she was in litigation. There was a judge that had been overseeing the case for over a year, over a year. And she said to the county, it was, it was Judge Smith uh, in Napa County, no relationship to I was going to say, no
0: relation to you, right? No, yep. no relation.
1: And she said to the county, look, if I'm going to rule, I'm likely to rule against you, Napa County, and you should take that into consideration. So I read about this, and we talked with Lindsay, and we then tried to join her suit. There's a way of doing that. We wanted to intervene on her behalf. Us and another winery, uh, Summit Lake Winery up in Angwin, wanted to do that. And so what did the county do? The county went and said to Judge Smith, who'd been there for over a year, and said, look, I'm looking to rule against you. They uh, challenged her impartiality because her husband works in the wine industry.
0: How are you going to find a judge in Napa County Who has no relation to the wine industry?
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean, maybe in
0: Sonoma, there's other industry in Sonoma, but Napa doesn't have any other industry, really.
1: That's right, and so they got her thrown off the case, and she she had to recuse herself.
0: Why did she tell them that's how she was going to rule, though? She did not Um, need to do that.
1: I'm not a lawyer. I don't I I can't answer that.
0: A judge is not required to tell anybody what their ruling is going to be. They're just required to rule. So it seems to me that's also very sketchy that she would warn them ahead of time. This is how I'm going to rule.
1: I don't think it's that unusual. I think what happens is that a judge is trying to to end a long litigation and is looking at the, the two plaintiffs. Uh, whatever they're supposed to be called, and goes, look, this is the way this thing is going. Is there a way to settle this? Is there a way to oh, end it? Oh, so take- okay, you go. got it. And,
0: got and it, so it. it's yes. it's not
1: showing uh, unfairness to one side or giving an advantage to the other side. It's really trying to show both sides where this case is going. It's already been over a year. Maybe the, the idea is that the judge has the need to let people know so that this can Come to a conclusion. Uh, that, that's how I see it. But so you now have to start you have to over. Stay.
0: If you think that what went on in the first part of this podcast was a little crazy, wait till you get to the second part of the show because it gets a lot more bonkers. And Smith Madrone makes such excellent wines. We do not want to see people like this go out of business. And you know where you can get Smith Madrone wines? You can get them on WineAccess.com slash WFMP, where you're going to get 10% off your first order. Wine Access has great relationships. Some with small producers, Wine Access is trying to give us access to these people and help keep them alive. If you want to support small wineries, ordering through Wine Access is a great way to do that. They have very special relationships with producers and with distributors and importers. We are so lucky to have access to them and to have a team of people dedicated to finding wines that are special and unique and from these smaller producers. Go to WineAccess.com slash normal. Also, if you want to hit the easy button, you can gift a wine club membership to someone. You can get them into the Wine Access Wine for Normal People wine club. It is Four shipments a year of six bottles for $150 plus tax, but the shipping is free. I hand-select all the wines. If you're looking for a last-minute gift, go to WineAccess.com WFMP so you can get into the site and get a gift card. I will be getting gift cards for some people that are business associates and friends. MCI gets Wine Access gift cards for people every year. It's like giving the recipient access to a wine store that has all amazing, fabulous wines, wineaccess.com slash normal to join the wine club or gift the wine club and WineAccess.com slash WFMP to see the page of my picks, get into that site, and get a gift card. Also, give yourself a great gift and join Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash Wine for Normal People is how you will get access to the community. It is one of the best gifts that you can give yourself. This is a community of wonderful people. People really enjoy being part of this small wine community where there's a lot of like-minded individuals. It is all positive. Gosh, where can you say that on the internet? Really almost nowhere. So join Patreon today. Also help keep the podcast going. As we said in episode 500, without Patreon this podcast would not exist. So if you really love the show, think about joining today. It's $22 a year for a membership at the most basic level. We would love to have you. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wine for normal people is how you'll do that. And don't forget, sparkling wine class coming up, Piano Noir around the world. And I'm about to launch two more classes for the end of January and the beginning of February. And you can get a Wine for Normal People gift certificate at winefornormalpeople.com slash classes. And now let's get back to the show with Stu Smith, where he's about to explain that things have gotten even crazier. 2022 is when they cited Lindsay. She goes into litigation. It takes a year. And then you and Summit Lake say, we want to get in on this. That's right. What is very interesting, and I just want to point this out, is that you really don't have any skin in this game, Stu, in the sense that you can do what you want pretty much, right?
1: Well, here's really the heart of the matter. As I mentioned, the winery database. And the winery database, we found out about a year and a half ago. What is it? Somewhere on the county's website is a printout It's eight pages long and it has every winery, every parcel number, uh, how big the winery is, when they were permitted, when they became active, how many visitors per day, how many visitors per week, how many visitors per year, how many employees.
0: Are you required to report that?
1: When you get your permit, you have to report all of that.
0: Well, how would they know how many visitors you have a year, though?
1: That's part of your permit.
0: The maximum is permitted, not how many you actually have.
1: That's right. It's it's how many you are actually permitted. So let's go back to our permit. Our permit is silent on the number. Ergo, we have unlimited amount. I find out about this document and I go look at my Smith-Madrone list (laughs) and it says I am limited to 10 visitors a week and zero events. Now- My permit and my interpretation and my operation is that I have unlimited visitors. They can't just drive in on the property. It's by appointment. And I have unlimited events and unlimited number of people per event. Now, I don't do very many events. so That's not a big deal, but I do do events. And some of them are over 100 people. Some of them mostly are, are smaller. And that difference, they looked at my permit and someone, without telling me, without notifying me, without going through a hearing, which is what I had to do to get my permit, changed it from unlimited to 10 a week. And they also said no events. They did not notify me about this. On the document, it says, which is dated February 2019.
0: And no one told you.
1: Nobody told us.
0: Years ago. you it technically been in violation for but years. They, and had no they idea. Would, they
1: could claim that. But they didn't notify us, nor did they notify anybody else. So let's just look at where I was the day before they did this <laughs> right. and the day after. So the day before this, I had a permit that I I believe and, and our attorney believed, is unlimited visitors and unlimited events.
0: For 50 years. Right. That's the thing, right.
1: right? Right. But the day after that someone did this. That has cost us a huge amount of money. And, and this is why we, we try to get into the lawsuit, is to clarify just this type of thing. So they, as I like to say, someone in the dark of night in a back room decided arbitrarily and capriciously that we now had only 10 visitors per week. We have done a Freedom of Information Act asking, when was this done? Who asked to have it done? Who actually did it? Who is the person and under what basis that they decided who got whatever? And the the Freedom of Information Act has a timeline and they have now once said we need it to extend it and we're expecting a second extension because they don't want to tell us.
0: Let's just say that you were Charles Krug or Chateau Montalena who got the permits around the same time. I wonder what their limitations are. I bet they're not the same.
1: Oh, no. Well, I can tell you that in this whole deal, The top, and this is just pre-WDO wineries, the top 20 wineries that have the most permit, the top 20 wineries have 70% of all of the visitors per day. And the small wineries have an average of 16 visitors per day. So you can see it is skewed to the larger wineries. And what I'm trying to do now is to work with some people. And what the county is doing is looking back 50 years, 40, 50 years with what I call rose-colored glasses because none of them were there.
0: But they're not looking with rose-colored glasses because if they were, they would say, well, nostalgia wins and you should always have whatever you want since you were the foundation and backbone of Napa Valley and nobody else would exist without you, right? Without the taking the chance. Let's
1: let's change the the color of the glasses. I tend to think of it as rose-colored because that's what they want. They did this wearing their glasses, wanting what they want, which is they want to control this group of wineries that is still in this box. And my deal is we were there. We, we know what was going on. This was never the intent of the county at that time to do what they're now doing. And so um, that's why we got in the lawsuit. Our concern now is whether we go into federal court and sue them because they've taken a, a fair amount of our value. And one of the things that we have is that the winery has gone up in value because we've established vineyards, we've established a good brand, we have this permit, and now they've, they've in essence taken from us property rights without due process. So when this came up about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I went around to a bunch of my friends who have been like me, Right. and I have said to them, look, this is what I'm doing. And there was a meeting of a number, not a lot, not as many as I would like, of small wineries. And everyone that I spoke to and everyone that showed up at this meeting said, we love what you're doing. Go for it. We are scared to death of the county.
0: Why? Because why, why, the why? County,
1: because the county can be mean uh difficult uh we see what's going on with Lindsay hoops they don't want to get involved in it they, they don't want to get into these other issues and you know there there was originally 190 wineries that are in the small winery use permit area and we're going why are they coming after a group of wineries which is why people came to the napa valley in the first place we are the goose that laid the golden egg and yes. now they have their hands on our throat strangling us to death and not willing to work with us. And my hope would be that we would be able to get enough people together and look at this box in which there are all these pre-WDO wineries and come to some way of doing this. And the county is spending a huge amount of money on this.
0: Taxpayer money.
1: It's taxpayer money.
0: Your um, money. Your at- money.
1: I mean, that's against us. Against
0: you. The thing I was going to ask you was could you talk about the sting operation also? Because now this is part of the fear, right? I'm glad you brought up the small wineries, but now it's not just they're mean, they're very underhanded. It's a gotcha mentality. It just doesn't add up what to happen to you.
1: It didn't happen to us, but the county came up with a program, what we would call an amnesty program. And they said to the industry, if you think you're out of compliance or anything of that nature, we're going to have a program where if you come in by, I think it's March 29th, uh, 2019, we will sit down with you and help you come into compliance. Pick a winery, let's say the, the Summit Lake. They went into this and the county says to them, okay, tell us about your operation. So that's what they do because they've, they've been told that we're here to help you the Summit Lake winery people tell them what they're doing. And the County says, Oh, you're in violation here. You're in violation there. And you're in violation there. And Oh, by the way, for you to come into, into compliance, you have to come into compliance for let, let's say as of September 1, 2023, let's say that's where their meeting was, whatever. And one of the things that have to come into compliance is with the road standards that the County has accepted from the board of forestry. And because Summit Lake is at the end of a mile road. They have to widen the road to a 20-foot paved road with one foot aprons on each side,
0: oh which would gosh. cost them
1: over a million dollars. And the other things. But fundamentally, the million dollars is a is a killer because right. the little wineries, you know, we're not the pharmaceutical industry. We're not throwing off cash like crazy. We're small, hardworking people who have kept our shoulder to the grindstone to make it as far as we have. And the county is is basically, this is a sting operation. So where we are in this thing is that the county asked people to open up and tell them about their operation, and then the county used it against them.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: Every vintner I know who went through the amnesty program said it is the worst thing that they have ever done. They're not sure they're going to be able to come out of the backside because of the costs. Oh my gosh. And at the same time, that's why when I talk to all of my friends who are small vintners like myself, they are scared to death of coming into to the grips of the county because we don't know what the county is going to do. And they pick off people one by one. There have been other litigation with other wineries. And at the end of the, the litigation, Napa County has required NDAs. What? yes.
0: And do you have personal knowledge of what went on there? No. I mean, do you, so you no. have no I, I, idea. I, I, yeah.
1: I, all I know is that that has happened. And to me, that is just reprehensible. It's bizarre. Okay, go back to your question that I skipped yeah. back on. Uh, yep. Uh, I'm sorry, what was it?
0: About how someone called you to try to oh, get yes, you, yes, yes, right? Yes, right? I mean, that's so, what, that's the sting operations. Right. Somebody came after you yes. and, because this is personal now.
1: Yes. So Lindsay Hoops, we've become very close with, and she said, by the way, be careful of this. The county will try to do a sting operation on you. And we said, what's that? And they said, well, they'll call up or email or what have you and say, by the way, can we come up? And it happened in my case, we think in my case. I said, well, you know, I'd like to have a birthday party up there for my friends. And do you take a credit card? And I, and it was harvested. I said, no, that just doesn't sound like something we can do. My wife, who Most of our emails for the winery got an email request saying the same thing. We'd like to have a birthday party up there for 12 or 14 people. Do you take credit cards? Julianne had found out from Lindsay that you can ask, are you with Napa County? And Napa County, by law, must say yes or no. In other words, the person, if he's not, would say, what are you talking about? The county has to say, by law, yes. And that's what happened and that's what happened to Summit Lake and it happened to me although I didn't I hadn't been informed that this right. is the possibility by the county but Julianne got it on an email and when we were in court and this came up the county says well that's only an allegation well we've now had to turn in the copies of the email and the county did it and so they're out there looking
0: has the time to do this. I mean, this is the other, you know, again, taxpayer money. I don't understand, and I guess that you don't either. Is it negative impact on traffic and noise and life in Napa? Or the small wineries having a disproportionate share of ruining lifestyle for the people that live in Napa Valley? What is their end game? And it seems like what you're saying is the large wineries are not subject to any of these problems, right? They're not having any of this. So is it they only want a place with large wineries that pay huge taxes? What is the goal in reducing the number of family wineries? I'm going to tell you this, Stu, and it's not something that you want to hear, but you know, I don't come to Napa because I don't like the attitude of a lot of people. I stay on the other side of the Mayakamas because of the people And I think a lot of people have come to that, but they are feeding into this. I mean, they're making it now so expensive, right? Anyway, so now you're only getting people who can afford really expensive tastings. And in addition, now you're trying to force out the whole grassroots of Napa. I mean, in my opinion, the only exciting thing in Napa is you, right? You and the people like you.
1: Right. So it gets back to why are they doing this? Yes. Um. And, you know, we've talked about the malevolent hand. I think there's also a issue with what we might call a house of cards, and that is that there are all of these regulations. So Napa County has the Winery Definition Ordinance, has the Conservation Ordinance, also known as the Hillside Ordinance. We have the Ag Preserve. We have a thing called the View Shed Ordinance. We have all of these ordinances that no other county in California or the United States has for a wine industry. And I think what they're afraid of is that if someone finally wins one of their suits, it'll be a house of cards and the whole thing will come down. So as an example, I mentioned to you the 75% rule, which there's no question, it's illegal. Um, And so only the, the goodwill of the industry is it not challenged you look at the visitation. The highest percentage of visitors go to the largest wineries. And our argument is, why should there be a limitation on where the visitors go? You know, I have friends who only have one visitor a day. And back okay. to this winery definition ordinance, there are a number of wineries that have, let's say, 10 visitors per day. But then in the per week column, they're only allowed five. It makes no sense. It is a complete hodgepodge of garbage. But back to the House of Cards, we think that's a big part of it. I also think there may be an issue with Prop 13. And Prop 13 was passed back in in the early 70s. And it only allows property taxes to go up 1% to 2% a year. So if we sell, that probably would go up 10 times.
0: So it's all about the money.
1: And it gets back to the money. We don't know this, but this is the way a lot of us think it's going. And that is that those of us who have been around for a long time, the small wineries that are in the pre-WDO, we're not paying our fair share of taxes. They want that tax money because that's what government lives on, is tax money. And they've ne- there's never a government anywhere in the world that doesn't want more money. We see this as a possibility, but we don't know. We speculate all the time. We go out and I talk to people and friends and they go, why is this county doing We don't have an answer. Now, with Lindsay Hoops, let's go back to Lindsay. Lindsay went to the county and said, look, come on out. Show me where I'm in violation. She's got a chicken coop that is too big, they claim. She goes, I don't know how big a chicken coop is supposed to be. I know a little chicken coop is not good for the chickens, but how big can I go? And she said, I have a saw. Come out here and we'll cut this sucker down to size. Let's deal with this. She is not only attorney, but she has an attorney representing her additionally. And that attorney goes to the county and says, come on out. Let's discuss this. The county says no. But then just this past Monday morning, emailed her a legal document on Saturday evening and said on Monday morning, there'll be 10 of us at your parking lot and we want to inspect your property. 10 people. Yes. On a Saturday night, they sent her this document. And said, we will be there, there'll be 10 of us, and we want to inspect all of your property.
0: So how often are they going to, like, Sterling? I'm just right. pointing it out. Or even uh, Peju.
1: Uh, here's the other issue, and that is that we all believe that the county is trying to very much pick off each winery one by one.
0: That's what it seems and, like, right?
1: Yes. And the, the they, they picked on the wrong gal uh, <laughs> with Lindsay. Because she's tough as nails and she can fight back and she has a big bite because she not only is an attorney, a prosecutor, she also teaches the stuff at UC Law. So she she knows how to do this. I'm working, trying with some politicians on the state level to try to get them to come in and take a look at this. And, And I'm hoping, maybe completely premature, to try to get some common sense brought into this thing. Because this is all about money, a great deal of money that the county is spending, will go to spend. So the county's uh, legal budget went from $225,000 last year to over a million dollars, somewhere north of a million dollars this year. And that's, that's taxpayer money. And that shouldn't be used on frivolous and stupid lawsuits when everyone is willing to sit down and negotiate except the county.
0: The other thing that we didn't really clarify here is that the federal and state prosecutors are now being asked to investigate civil rights violations because your property rights and your right to business really has been taken away arbitrarily.
1: Yes. So yes. So that's we've an gone to the state important
0: element here because the county you can't reason with this county.
1: No. And in fact, we've gone to the state attorney general and asked the state attorney general to step in and to investigate.
0: And they have said what?
1: We haven't heard back yet. That's only been three weeks since that was filed, three weeks or a month at most. And we're hoping that that'll be one way of dealing with this because it it is patently unfair and the county is is not acting in in good conscience.
0: I'm going to put this sort of doomsday scenario forward because I'm trying to just figure out again, we have no answers. I do want to point out that I think if we asked, given all of this, the cloak and dagger secrecy of Napa County, that if I asked somebody from Napa County to come out and discuss this, they would not do it.
1: You can always ask them, but I doubt it. They wouldn't come out and talk with Lindsay when she and her attorney asked them to come out and meet with them and let's resolve these These issues.
0: I know that a number of other journalists, I think Blake Gray has tried to get comments from them also, and they have said nothing. I'm just going to say that because I know somebody listening to this is probably an attorney and saying, well, this is a one sided thing. But let's take this waterfall scenario. So we start out, let's say they successfully shut down these elements of your business, of hoops, and then they go throughout all of the other small Napa wineries and they basically take away a huge part of your business. I have to assume that there's going to be some people that can't make it and they're going to close their doors.
1: A fellow vintner who had been in litigation with the county said recently that he thinks Napa County will force every winery to go through an updated EIR. And that simply will destroy small wineries if that's rumor. And it's a rumor. Uh, is true.
0: We're just spitballing here because I just want to take people through what the ramifications are of this.
1: Elizabeth, let me let me give you an idea of what, what that means if we had to yes, go through please. a use permit. Yes. So <clears throat> we're about a 4,000 square foot winery. We're a little less than that. If we wanted to expand, we have in California what's called the CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act. If we go over 10% in size, so that gives us 400 square feet, that triggers CEQA. To continue with the process at over the minimum, we would have to put a cover over our entire crush pad. That would probably cost three, four dollars $400,000. Oh we would my have God. to bring our water system up to a public state of California water standard. As though you were in a hotel, if you were in a school, we've been using the same water system for 50 years. But that might be a huge amount of money. And it's really undetermined how much it would be. We would probably then have to put in uh, additional water tanks. We would have to probably double the water capacity and make sure that we had an automatic fire pump that could easily be a half million dollars. We would have to come into compliance with the road standard because we'd have half a mile of road that would have to be brought up to CAL FIRE standards. And by the way, Barron's Winery, who did this in 2019, they had to come into compliance. They had to put in a road that was three quarters of a million dollars. And Cal Fire was nowhere, nowhere to be seen. Their winery burned down. And then also Sherwin Winery and Ritchie Creek Winery, who also used that road, burned down. And Cal Fire never showed up to use it. So there's that. All wineries are looking at what's called the Winery Waste Discharge Permit, which we're all looking at for this coming year, that the minimum we understand is a $250,000 cost.
0: Jeez.
1: We simply can't do that. So then, oh, and then the use permit itself would be three to four years and probably $300,000. And so then you say to yourself, okay, the building's 50 years old. Now we're looking at probably four to $5 million And we don't generate the kind of money and throw off money to pay the interest on that, let alone pay it back.
0: Nobody is loaning money to anybody right now. The capital markets are completely dried up. Interest rates are high. I mean, there's a ton of other problems right now with that.
1: Well, let me let me throw one other thing in there real quick, and that is our insurance. We we used to pay our entire insurance policy was twelve thousand to thirteen thousand dollars. Our insurance policy now is $75,000 a year.
0: Holy cow. Because that came down
1: from a because of the forest fires. Well, that's unsustainable. And so you throw all of this in it, it's nuts.
0: I, I, I just want to, for comparison's sake, let's say that you were just a little bit farther over on the other side of Spring Mountain in Sonoma. You would not have to pay any of this, correct?
1: No. Well, there'd be some. Right. Uh, I but mean, it would insurance and things. Right.
0: right.
1: So as an example, uh in Sonoma County, Sonoma County Board of Supervisors says to the state of California, we're not going to put our wineries through this with the road improvement. So had Barron's winery been in Sonoma County, which was only 400 yards, 500 yards away, they wouldn't have had to spend three quarters of a million dollars to to do their road.
0: I mean, it almost makes you want to get rezoned out of Napa, although, you know, you make more money with Napa on your bottle. But seriously, it's just from a standpoint of fairness. This is one county over and a county that has a lot of wineries and lots of small wineries. And that has they also have a lot of millionaires. I guess the millionaires are moving in there because the billionaires don't want to want to be in Sonoma. But I just wanted to bring that point up because you're so close to Sonoma also, you know, up on That's spring right. mountain that it's got to be just an exercise in frustration because you look at what Sonoma does. They don't do any of that. They take care of their people pretty well. Yes, They yes. are pretty pro-winery. They actually have done a number of environmental initiatives that they've paid for. They are concerned about fire. I think they do a better job of fire management than Napa. And, oh, there's no question they do. And so then you have Napa where everything is more expensive. And now, whereas I think that Sonoma or Santa Barbara looks at small wineries as their little gems. You guys are being singled out and they're trying to shut you down or get you taken over by billionaires, or they want the large wineries sniffing around you to eat you up.
1: Well, the problem with that is the large wineries only want to buy the small wineries if they can leverage it up in size.
0: Right. That's and
1: right. small wineries in the hills, which are family operated which I think are the heartbeat of the Napa Valley. 100%. And the people come, they, they don't necessarily want to go to Charles Krug or Robert Mondavi. That having been said, I just don't have answers for all these questions. And, and nobody else does either. And we just don't get it. And, and it gets back to the you know the goose that laid the golden egg. We've been around for half a century, most of us. And we are why people would come to the valley and visit the valley. And, and now we have you know the French Laundry and all of these other places that mere mortals cannot afford to go to. So right. we're we becoming the Beverly Hills of the north of the wine industry. And, and that's great for those people who, who want that kind of thing. But what really made and put Napa on the world map of wine are the small folks like us, who put their heart and soul and, into wine that is authentic and tastes real and, and is an expression of the people that both grow and make the wine. And these large wineries, I don't want to use the word industrial. I hate that word. But, they you know, are, they're, though.
0: They're large. The, so I guess we'll end it here, and I want to have you on again as we get some resolution on this. But I think that the bottom line is we don't understand, but this is a really, really important issue for NAPA. And for anybody who cares about wine in California, because if you go, what is there left, and who's next? You know, I mean, it's it's not that Smith Madrone is going to go away tomorrow, but if they start picking you guys off, what happens to Napa? It turns into nothing.
1: Yes, I totally agree with you. And what I just don't quite understand is how did we get to where so many small vintners are so scared and not willing to stand up. And I understand why they won't. And I I lament that we are at this point in time where we have a whole part of our wine industry which is scared to death of our regulatory government. And government should not be that way. I mean, to me, that is such a damnation for how the county has operated when so many people are not willing to speak up. I mean that is fear and I mean I've seen it I've heard it in their voices.
0: Ugh, and and so uh sad.
1: and I'm, I you know I, I, I got a screw loose for standing up and and fighting against it but that's just my nature. And God uh, love you for it. I mean honestly no.
0: someone has got to stand up against it because it's unfair and you have been there and you've seen the whole evolution and there's been a pile on and I think that at a certain point I think the saddest thing is though the more voices that you had the easier it would be but I do understand these people I mean it's like a dictatorship or an autocracy where you don't know if you're going to be next and you don't know if somebody's going to knock on your door and try to establish a birthday party you know yeah, when exactly. you're in the middle of doing a hundred things and you're just right. deciding it's very underhanded it's very sad and I hope that there's some sort of reversal of this and that the state or the federal bodies come to your rescue. Because if they don't, I just don't see good things for Napa already. Even without all of this, there are a lot of people retiring. Their kids don't want the properties. They're selling because they can make the money. There's enough of that already. The small family wineries are already doing this. And the deep pockets of these larger wineries, they're standing right there and at the ready to shell out cash to buy these people out.
1: Right. So...
0: There's already that, and we can't stop that. That's economics. That's just the free market, and it is what it is. But this is artificially generated by the county, and if it sends people into ruination, I don't know what we're going to do. And the sadder thing to me even is that the mid-sized wineries don't seem to be standing up for you guys either. And you're just alone. There's a lot of people between you and Charles Krug. There's a whole other tier of mid-sized wineries, they're not doing anything either. So no, it's right. just sad. It's really sad. All right, Stu, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for breaking this down for us. I think we'll just have to keep getting updates from you. I will make sure to post anything that I see that's an update, but definitely keep me in the loop, and we'll have you on again when we get any new news. Thanks for fighting the fight, though.
1: Thank you, and thank you for for airing this, too.
0: And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.